Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jason Zenger, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jim Carr. How you doing, Jim? Jason, I'm well. We are cranking it out today. We're getting so much done, I can't believe it. I know. It makes me feel good. So, Jim, last week, there was such a positive response to the discussion about my health that I'm going to kind of change things up a little bit, and we're going to go from being a manufacturing podcast to a health and wellness podcast. Is that okay? Well, sure. Absolutely. I think I can talk on that, too. I Great. Mean, yeah. Well, we're, we're actually I've been in manufacturing my whole life. I've been exercising my whole life. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I could do that. So we, well, we, we brought a doctor on. I know, I know. He's sitting right here with us. So we're going to call this the... I'm not a doctor, but I'm going to bring, keep bringing doctors on, so we're going to call this the Dr. Jason Show instead of, instead of making chips. Is, is that he okay? going to tell us how to exercise to get our heart healthy? I think so. Oh. Or is he going to tell us how to make our machining more viable? Maybe we should go with that, right? Yeah, I think that'd be a better... I think it'd be more interesting, especially to our audience, if we talked about how machining dynamics and, and all that good stuff. Have you ever thought about that? Like, Have you ever thought about that there is this whole nother world of academia outside of the corporate machining manufacturing world? Like, Has that ever occurred to you when you're in the shop or when you're growing up in the shop that somebody is actually doing research at an academic institution, at a university about how to make your processes better? As a matter of fact, I have because growing up on the shop floor and being a programmer and a CNC machinist my whole life, I've always wondered where all of those variables and statistics and data, where did it come from? Who generated up from the tooling manufacturers because that was always my point of reference. If I yeah, so a, if you look at the back of a pack of inserts and it has all these... If you I know, have a piece of 4140 pre-hard, I know it's 60 surface feet per minute in high-speed steel. If it's four times that for solid carbide, I know how to generate a surface feet per minute, chip per tooth. I, I know, I, mean, I understand all that. And all of that data that had been generated from the cutting tool manufacturers, I often wondered and I often regarded them as pretty academic people that had great ideas and knowledge of our industry. Right, so, but there's an actual doctor in manufacturing, I a know. PhD, isn't it? I mean, and we've got it on making chips today. Yeah, we're, we're lucky people. So before we even go there, why don't we, I actually brought up some manufacturing news, which in itself <laughs> is is a little bit different. And actually, I brought this out for you. I mean, your, you. your wife and your daughter are both stylists. I guess is that the is that the proper term? They're yeah, they, they make used, people they look used better. To call them cosmetologists, and now they're hairstylists or I know, I know, I know beauty she has to, uh, beauty specialists or she whatever. She has to do like thirty minutes of work on you every morning, right? Something like yeah. that, something like that. But my not only my wife, my mother in law, my mother, my sister in law, my daughter. It's in the family. So so yeah, I saw this article on <laughs> Forbes, and the title is "A Detroit Entrepreneur Applies Lean Auto Manufacturing Principles to Build a Beauty Salon." And you know, last week we talked about. <laughs> lean problem solving. And I just thought that this was kind of a fun manufacturing news article to talk about. And what it says is this entrepreneur, Dana White, brought in engineers from GM and Ford, you remember she's in Detroit, to help her to set up her new beauty salon yeah. to make sure that it's lean and efficient. I mean, we're talking about like, you know, where she puts the seats and the towels and the shampoo and it's everything like, like that. It's kind of like 5 your 
your salon, I, right? I, I bet it's exactly like that. I, and it's great. I mean, I, I was laughing, and I'm still laughing a little bit because my wife would never follow that. She just, you, you know, tell, tell, it's, I'm going to tell. Well, tell her that you're going to bring in some experts and never ever fix up her shop. She'd probably kill you. She'd be like, no. <laughs> but it just goes to show you that whatever industry you're from, you can make incremental improvements to make your efficiencies get better and lean the heck out of everything and just and just make it run better and have a, a written documented process and it's going to eventually increase your profits yeah and I your agree. sales but sometimes you I, know I what? saw a statistic on here about they're doing a lot of hair I mean White expects to pull in close to a half a million dollars in revenue this year, up from wow. 285 in 2017. And she notes that she was able to achieve this growth without advertising. She's called it the lean salon. I mean, that's fabulous. That's I, awesome. I love hearing stories like that. That is great. I mean, it's all about dollars per square foot. It's all about how much output you can get out of your facility. Absolutely. That's that's amazing. So, you know, hats off to her for doing that. Maybe we'll have to drive out to Detroit sometime and go get our hair cut. Yeah. Or would your wife be mad about that if you got your hair cut by somebody else? No. After 30 years, she doesn't care what I do. Well, she does, but she doesn't. I'm sure she's not going to cry if I get my hair cut by somebody else. She's probably going to feel like, well, at least I didn't have to do that. Well, speaking of nice haircuts, Nick, could you introduce our guest today? Yes. Thanks. So we do have a doctor today. We do. He's not going to talk about our health. Doctor in the house. He's going to talk about the health of our machine tools and and machining dynamics. So Dr. Tony Schmitz, he received his bachelor's in mechanical engineering from Temple University, his master's and his PhD in mechanical engineering from the University of Florida. He also won the 2018 Bank of America Award for Teaching Excellence, and he teaches at UNC Charlotte now, and he was even known as the pigskin professor, so he developed an Emmy-winning video series. I'm writing that one down to ask him about that. He developed the series in collaboration with NBC Learn, the National Football League, and the National Science Foundation, and it was called the Science of NFL Football, so really interesting stuff. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Couldn't imagine being anywhere else right now. You're the, you're the <laughs> Thanks, first doctor on making chips. That's right. You know, and if I could just comment on last week's discussion, said, is it weightlifting or is it cardio? Cardio. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to chime in on the weightlifting side, just so you know, with a football Thank background. You. Yeah, so yeah. So it's I, two to one, Jim. Yeah, I think it is actually three, three to one. Okay. Jim. I've been doing it my whole life. So I mean, you know. <laughs> And that's okay. It's okay. So tell us, you teach at UNC Charlotte. What exactly are your students in classes learning in the manufacturing industry? Yeah, tremendous. So you know, so the reason that I teach what I teach is because I appreciate manufacturing. And at the end of the day, when you've made something, you never feel like you didn't accomplish something that day. And so that is reality that I try to pass on to my students, whether they're undergrads working on a bachelor's level degree or into grad school, working on advanced degrees. So the, the type of courses I teach would be mechanical design. So for example, I have a course where we build an electromechanical robot to complete some task. So it could be a pick and place robot that I'll, I'll task the students with designing and then building by semester's end. 
one semester I had them design a robot to automatically cast a Zebco 33 fishing pole. Cool. That wow, was a cool. lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. We had the competition at Bass Pro Shops up in Concord near yeah. UNC Charlotte. I had a semester where I had them build a crank slider assembly, just like your car engine, just like your piston engine, to crush a styrofoam cup. Now, I wouldn't let them push on the side or push on it on a, you know, on an angle. Surprisingly, it takes about 70 pounds to crush a styrofoam cup straight down. Vertically. Vertically. Yeah. I, I wouldn't yeah. imagine that. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, that's interesting. So it was really challenging. And so the students as undergrads get an opportunity to design and then build things. And there's no better way to test your design than building it yourself if you've ever worked on a car, right? And then at the graduate level, I teach courses around mechanical vibrations, which we're going to talk about today, structural dynamics, which will be another important topic, and then also advanced manufacturing, which will kind of put all that stuff together in one capstone course. One of the things that we always talk about is that we need to convince the parents out there, or we need to set examples for the parents out there that manufacturing is a fun, interesting industry to be in. And you just hooked me on that, that that's the direction my kids could, should go into. And I just don't get it because everything you just talked about is really exciting. So I think it's not hard to convince parents that engineering is a good career. It's not. Well, well, I agree. Manufacturing is, if nothing else, good engineering, right? So you're taking fundamentals of the world around us and you're applying them to processes to create products that make our lives better, right? How could you want something better for your children than that career? So Tony... Tell me why machining dynamics. Why do we need to know more about this? Why is it important for the machine shop out there that's trying to amp up their efficiencies and be a little bit more lean like we just talked about on last week's episode? Yeah, tremendous question. Yeah. So I think there's three pieces to that puzzle. So okay. it's a pretty small I've got my puzzle. I've got my pen and paper in hand, and I'm going to take notes. Outstanding. Yeah. Um, I'm going to bring it back to the shop floor and tell my guys what I learned today. That's right. So the professor is speaking. So. Yes. <laughs> I'm, 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 a, I'm a good student. Okay, that's good. Yeah. So you should all be taking notes. We're going to cram 10,000 people into this classroom. <laughs> Outstanding. That, my typical classroom has just a few shorter than that, but... We can make it work. So here's the three pieces, and then we can talk about those individually to kind of sure. round it out. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. So the first topic, I would say, would be cutting force. We all agree. Let's see. What's Isn't there something about making chips that's... If you're not making chips, through? you're not making money? Yeah, something like that, right? So it turns that's out... That's a tagline, that, though. ...that in order to make a chip, right, there's going to be a cutting force which is necessary to produce that chip. Okay, so that's topic one. Second topic is vibrations. And so, you know, that's something that I hear more and more about within the machining community. I think the awareness is getting, even through the trade publications, I think the awareness is getting out there. And so I want to follow cutting force with vibrations. The last piece of that jigsaw puzzle is tool wear. And we'll see why that's important when we get there. Okay, let's go right to the vibration thing. We all know that there's vibration on every cut that we make in a CNC machine tool. We agreed upon that. And what I've learned is being a fundamental machinist my entire career is you want to minimize the length of your cut and optimize the speeds and feeds appropriate to the machine tool and the material that you're cutting. 
So you're talking about the projection of the tool? Yes. And you're always trying to minimize. You're always thinking about those elements. How rigid is your setup? How rigid is your cutting tool? How rigid is your holder? Are you in a a shrink fit holder? Are you in a stubby end mill holder? Is the tool hanging out only three-eighths of an inch versus six inches? Are you cutting titanium? Are you cutting 304 stainless, 4140 pre-hard, or 6061 aluminum? All of those elements are key characteristics on how we are going to mitigate the vibration, right? Yeah, so okay. let me break that into two components. Go ahead. Let's, let's say on one side is the tool in a holder connected to a spindle. On the other side is the workpiece. Okay, and many times we, well, I'd say most times, we don't have any choice about what that workpiece material is going to be because the customer has specified a material for a particular product, and so that's the material we're going to be machining in. Okay, so that typically is something that's outside of our control. So let's go on the tool side. Let's go on the tool side. You mentioned best practices that we should all follow, right? Of course, you do not want the tool to be sticking out any further than it needs to, to make the cut that you need to make. But independent of that projection length and shorter is better. Agreed. Yeah, that's like his 101 class, Jim. Those are fundamental skills that every machinist should know and take with them through their career. Agreed. But once I have a projection length of that cutting tool of any length, there's going to be some flexibility of that cutter, holder, spindle, machine assembly. In terms of vibrations, now it is a force with some size, which depends on the cut that you're making. Axial depth, radial depth, feed per tooth, right? So that's going to scale your cutting force. That force is going to be applied to that structure, which is not rigid, even though you've followed best practices and the tool isn't extended any more than it should be, there's still some flexibility associated with that cutter. So when I have this repeating force, because the teeth are constantly coming in and out of the cut, which is exciting that structure, I get vibration. So vibration just means displacement of your cutter that's changing over time. So you're saying that tool is flexible? I'm saying the tool is it flexible. Is. It, and it has to. In some small capacity. At some level. Yeah. That's right. Jason's shaking his head. (laughs) It is flexible. What are you talking about? You just had a whole argument with him about it. No, I know, but we're talking (laughs) minute, minute, minute variables. You're supposed to do the whole argument all over again. No, I'm listening. (laughs) I'm a good student. Okay. (laughs) So we're all in agreement that that's the case. But here's the deal. We are encouraged to ignore that fact by our CAD CAM software. Mm. Yeah, it right? looks so simple. When you look at that CAD CAM software, you see a, a video of parts being made on the software. That's right. So there is a tool path, right, which is produced in order to move this apparently rigid cylinder through this apparently rigid workpiece in order to produce a final geometry. And hey, how can that be hard, right? Yeah, and there's never even any chips coming off of it. Like, <laughs> there's on never the, any on the, chips. On the computer screen either. You know, that's the problem. They're not making chips on that right. computer screen. Okay, so they are making money when they're they're doing on the computer. They are because they already sold you the software. (laughs) They are trying to sell the software, right? That's right. Yes. Okay, caveat here. I'm not, don't make me the enemy of CAD CAM software here. Because they've revolutionized the industry quite frankly. Without question. Yes. That's right. So CNC alone. Right. Okay, so I look at that screen image though, and it doesn't appear to me that I have a flexible tool because it always works perfectly on the computer screen. 
Okay, but the fact that we recognize there's a force being applied to a non-rigid structure means there's going to be vibration. And so how do I incorporate that? Well, that goes back to those machining parameters that are the, the boxes that I fill in on my CAD CAM system. What step over am I going to choose? What axial depth am I going to choose? What feed per tooth and what spindle speed? So those are the things we always pick. And that one is a little harder to describe simply by best practices. And here's why. Because I do have that flexible cutter, it has particular spindle speeds that will enable you to have increased axial depth of cut. And that's where machining dynamics comes in. Because if I have an understanding of the relationship between the force, the corresponding vibration, and my machining parameters, now I can select those parameters that are going to let me have higher axial depths without chatter. And by chatter, I mean the self-excited vibration, that the squeal that we hear in the shop mm -hmm. that produces bad surface finish, mm -hmm. and we want to avoid that. Right. So if you had all of that information, the tool holder, the cutting tool, this, all the information about the spindle and the machine tool itself, could there be some sort of like add-on feature in the CAD CAM software that could optimize that, or is, is that not possible? Yeah, that's absolutely possible. What we'd need to do in that add-on is we need to hide a bunch of physics in there. Okay, so there's, there's mathematics that you study when you're a PhD student called differential equations. Oh, I right? took that class. When you actually take those upper-level math courses, they almost never connect them to anything real. Oh, yeah, it was like, I don't know what I learned. It was just fun to solve yeah. equations. And it's, it's such a disservice. It's like if you go all the way back to high school, when they were trying to teach you algebra, you had absolutely no reason to understand algebra. So why am I going through the mental gymnastics of, of trying to sort out these variables and numbers when all I really want to do is balance my checkbook? Because we want to get into your school. Because, yeah, <laughs> that's right. You want to be in my class, I right? Well, I took algebra from high school and brought it into my career. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. We all know that's the Pythagorean theorem, Tremendous. right? Tremendous. Good job, that's Dr. Right. Jim. Thank Very you. nice. So, okay, so when you find an application for math, now the math becomes beneficial to me. So really, so you say, I can't believe there's people at universities that, that actually think about manufacturing. Here's what I do. I take the math and I take the physics. I find its application on the shop floor and I connect the dots between the two. And ultimately, what I do all day long has value if I can translate that into something that enables you to make chips. And so to answer your question, yes, there are add-ons that can be incorporated in this path from I'm trying to make this part to here's my CAD CAM that I'm going to post to a machine, I'm going to select tooling, and I'm going to get that part back. The answer is yes, and there are technology providers that are bringing that to market, and I'd say it's on the way right now. Ooh, foreshadowing, some interesting stuff. <laughs> okay, back up a little bit. So we have agreed with each other that no matter how rigid the tool and the holder and the material that we're going to cut is going to have vibrations, if there's always going to be vibrations there, how do we take this information to mitigate it even further, another step, another layer that we can make actionable tomorrow. Okay, so if I can take you back to sort of the mid-1990s okay. and the famous rapper with the one-hit wonder, Marky Mark. Oh, yeah. 
and good, good vibrations. Good vibrations. Yeah. Okay, so he's an actor now, so he yeah. doesn't. A, a very, he's an he's actor still, now. He's still relevant. Yeah. Look, for me, he'll always be Marky Mark. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. Right. Okay, so I say all that because, yes. yeah, I'm still going to have vibrations, but I think I can categorize those as good and bad vibrations. Mm, the okay. bad vibrations are chatter. And when you're right. in a machine shop, you know there's chatter. You look over across the machine. I can hear it when I'm in the office. Absolutely. Yeah. That's right. So you recognize it. You have an ear for it. You yeah. know what's happening. And, right. that, and that's like the old school way of some of our parameters are off because there's a bad noise going on. It's we need to make relevant. some adjustments. Let me tell you. Oh, it is. It is. But I think it could be better. It can be. Okay. The fact is, you said that's an old school way. Do you know one of the techniques that I, I use? old school's good. The, the, one of the techniques that I use in order to identify chatter is a microphone, just like we're speaking into right now. Oh, interesting. I can listen to a cut. Cool. Okay. So I take that cut into my computer. I convert it into what's called the frequency domain. So instead of looking at it versus time, the sound that I would hear, I would look at it as a function of frequencies that are in that signal. And based on the frequencies that are in that signal, I can tell you if it's stable or not without actually hearing the cut through my ear. I can look at the frequency domain analysis and tell you if it's... It's hard data. Yeah. So what you're saying is that I can replace a wise industry veteran like Jim with a piece of computer software. And that's a dangerous thing for me to say on a podcast, but I would say (laughs) that it's possible to augment the expertise that's at the machine with some high technology stuff that I can describe because I am able to connect the dots between the math and the physics and what's on the shop yeah, floor. Yeah, because I mean, you're almost talking that's like the dog whistle of manufacturing. And, you, know, you probably perk up in the office when you hear that screeching going on. That's not the way right. it's supposed to be. I know it's not right, but boy, you can tell when it's a nice clean cut, too. Yeah. When it's just, you know, okay, so there's, humming. There's the good vibrations. That's the good right? vibrations. And the, and that's what I want to hear vibrations. all day long. I know that song. I can't right. describe it, but I, I, know what that, I know what you're talking about. It's, I know what yeah, that song Yeah, it's a beautiful is. sound. And so it turns out that, yeah, there's just like we all have fingerprints, Mm -hmm. every cut has a fingerprint as well, and it's the frequency content of that sound signal. When you hear one of these cuts and it sounds perfect, does it sound to you just like the Marky Mark song? It does. In fact, I usually kind of hum a little bit along. <laughs> You're like, that's a yeah. Good and I might I might dance a tiny bit, but not a, not a nice. lot. That usually gets work. Okay, can you use this software when you when you detect what the frequency is? Does it tell you? what parameter is off? Like, do you know by that, based on like all these other factors that you've brought into the equation, you know, I need to increase the feed or increase the the speed or just what whatever else that it might be? That is a tremendous all observation. The and the answer is yes. In fact, if I hear an unstable cut, I can tell you what your new spindle speed ought to be based on the frequency content of that unstable cut. And let me say this, this is counterintuitive and your audience might disagree, but the most powerful knob on your controller is not the feed override. It's the spindle speed override because that's the one that changes, we call it the forcing frequency. Let me say it this way. If you've ever been, if you ever pushed somebody in a swing at the playground, right? Uh, just yesterday. Yeah, so if you all, we, you know, many of us have children, right? So we spend time at the playground. And so when I'm pushing them and they're moving forward and then coming back and I'm pushing them again, if you looked at how often I'm pushing them, you can think of that as your forcing frequency. Well, in milling, there's a direct analogy. It's called the tooth passing frequency. It's the spindle speed times the number of teeth. It's how often my teeth are coming in and out of the cut. And so that's what's supposed to be there. 
And in fact, I hear this term harmonics all the time, right? Okay, here's what harmonics means. And everybody, please listen carefully. It's just multiples. So I have my tooth passing frequency, and then I have two times, and three times, and four times, and five times. That number, that's the harmonics, okay? You don't break up harmonics. There's no such thing. They're just there. When I have a stable cut, and it's marky mark, and it's good vibrations, that's what you're hearing, is the tooth passing frequency, and it's multiples, or harmonics. When I have a bad cut, I'm hearing the chatter frequency. It turns out that the chatter frequency happens near one of the natural frequencies for your system. Those are the frequencies at which they want to oscillate. So take a ruler, hang it off the edge of the table, flick the end of the ruler. You're going to see it oscillate up and down. That's a natural frequency. Your tool mounted in a holder, mounted in a spindle, has natural frequencies. When chatter happens, it happens near one of those natural frequencies. Okay, so now let's start talking about variable pitch end mills because that, it's cutting irregular, right? Variable pitch, the helix angle, well, variable pitch, variable helix, you can get both in an end mill. How does that change the dynamics of machining? Okay, tremendous. So we're going to talk a little bit about how chatter happens. Right. Okay, so... that's what we're talking about, so let's... Okay, so physically, how does chatter happen? Right. First, let me give you you an analogy, okay? So if you've ever used a public address system, and you've been speaking into the microphone, and it squealed all of a sudden, and people will say, oh, yeah, so it's a hot mic or whatever. Turn down the gain, right? Right. Okay, so here's what's going on. You're putting sound into the microphone. That sound is coming out of the speaker. The sound that you just put into the microphone is coming back into the speaker just later in time. So in math, we call that a time delay. Mm-hmm. Okay? All right. So now because the sound that I put in is coming back in, and it goes over the top of the original sound I put in, but with a time delay, that system can go unstable. That's the squeal that you hear. And when I turn the gain down, the squeal goes away. Right. Okay, now let's go to milling. In milling, I have one tooth which leaves behind a surface because it's vibrating, because I have a force applied to my cutter. Because there's always vibration. Because there's always vibration. That's a wavy surface that I'm leaving behind, even if it's at a very small scale. Maybe I don't see it, but it's there. The next tooth sees that surface that was already there, but the next tooth is also vibrating. Now there's a time delay. Mm -hmm. It's exactly the same thing, okay? So just like I spoke into the microphone, it came back into the microphone later. In milling, I left behind a wavy surface by one tooth. I hit that surface with the next tooth, which is also vibrating. So depending on my gain, it can go unstable. Mm -hmm. The gain is the axial depth of cut. Okay, now, you want to talk about variable pitch cutters. The reason variable pitch cutters help is you're, you're disrupting that copying of the surface. 100%. And so if they're regularly spaced, then... Which can, most they, conventional end mills which, are. Yeah, they naturally are because that's easier to grind, right. right? And so, okay, so I'll be copying that surface, and depending on my axial depth, it can either be stable or unstable. However, if I change my spindle speed... I'm changing the phasing between those vibrations from one tooth to the next, and so that can also affect stability. So we have two primary controls we use to influence stability, spindle speed and axial depth of cut. Mm -hmm. 
Very cool. So one of the things we do at Advanced is we build high production sawing machines. And my grandfather's always studying the the machining dynamics behind that. And he was talking about like vibration and then resonance. And I'm probably going to butcher this, but it had to do with like if, if two frequencies match up and they're, they're the same, it kind of like amplifies the vibration or something like that. What is resonance? And is that a problem that you face in a milling machine too? It is. So, okay. So we've already categorized good vibrations and bad vibrations. So let's take bad vibrations off the table. It's not chatter. Okay, so we're in the in the realm of good vibrations, but as I choose spindle speeds, which are near natural frequencies, the amplitude of the vibration does get larger, and so that would be a case of resonance. When my tooth passing frequency, we said that that product of spindle speed and number of teeth, when that number is equal to one of the natural frequencies of the system, the amplitude of vibrations is larger and that is by definition resonant and so like the example he always used is he showed me this youtube video of this bridge like just wobbling and it looked like a crazy movie or something where the bridge was just like completely made out of jelly and he said it was because of resonance something with the the natural frequency of the bridge and then the wind that was causing it to vibrate and it hit that resonant state and yes so in fact if anyone wants to look that up the term to look up is galloping Gertie. Is that a real real thing? It's a real thing. Okay. It was it's a bridge that was in San Francisco and the bridge came down. And the deal was that the natural frequency of the bridge was near as the wind blew through the canyon where the bridge was, the excitation that came from that wind blowing through the canyon actually led to a self-excited vibration. So it is the same thing as chatter. You might have witnessed something similar if you've ever been on an airplane, looked out the window, and saw the airplane wing oscillating up and down. Okay, so that's a self-excited vibration, just like chatter and machining, Mm -hmm. only in that case, it is the steady flow of air over that airfoil is modulated into motion near the natural frequency of the wing. And so what separates good and bad, bad vibrations, the good vibrations happen at the tooth passing frequency, at the forcing frequency, at the pushing the person on the swing frequency, the bad vibrations happen near the natural frequency. Mm -hmm. And that's what we call self-excited vibration. So I'm sure that all of these different factors, you can put them into a differential equation and get the right different variables in order to optimize your machining. So how, in like a practical purpose, does the average manufacturing company do that in order to increase their throughput or just take things to the next level on their manufacturing floor. Yeah. So I'd like to tell you that I could email you a chart that told you how to use every tool in your shop. I can't. What I can tell you is that if you'll follow some best practices like we talked about early on, I can get you to a place where you can collect a minimum set of data that will let you make decisions that improve your productivity. So here's what it might look like in your facility. First of all, you've selected tooling where I I minimize the overhang length as much as I can. I'm going to select a standard set of tooling. Rather than having a new tool every time I'm going to make a new cut, I'm going to have maybe eight to ten tools that I put in my tool magazine that are my workhorse cutting tools. I'll have a shell mill. I'll have a three-quarter inch four-flute 
carbide end mill. I would probably have, have a half inch, six flute, variable pitch, variable helix with the one inch length of cut. Okay, that tremendous. That you bought from Zengers. That I bought from Zengers. The, and I probably have a spotting tool, a 90 and, degree spotting tool. And I might have exactly the same tool. So yeah. I have this standard tool that you would buy from Zengers naturally. That I would right? naturally, right. But I'm not going to endorse like any particular company. <laughs> I almost got you. You too That's sharp right. for me, so, though. <laughs> well, I used to work at the National Institute of Standards and Technology, and any publication or any public presentation we made, there there had to be a statement a that said, we do not support. If I named your instrument because I used it, there was always a caveat. So that's sort of ingrained in my in my psyche. But in any case... yes. It's very helpful to have this standard set of tools. Now I can collect data on that set of tools. And here's what that data would look like. There's something that we complete called an impact test. Sometimes it's called a tap test. So that's becoming more and more well-known in the community. So here's what I do with a tap test. I'm going to have an instrumented hammer. That doesn't mean I'm going to damage my cutting tool. Usually it has a nylon tip, but it has a force transducer in that hammer. I'm going to tap your tool so I know the force that I put in. I'm going to usually attach a low-mass accelerometer with wax to your cutting tool, and I'm going to measure the response that came from tapping it with that hammer. So if I know the input, the force, and I know the output, the acceleration, then I can characterize what I call the structural dynamics of your system. In, for my grad students, the term they would use is called frequency response function. So you might have heard the term FRF. That is a measure of the vibration for your particular tool for a given force. Okay, now if I have that information for each one of your tools, there's very well-established algorithms, math and physics, that let you select axial depth, spindle speed combinations that will avoid chatter. And those are compiled in a diagram that we call a stability lobe diagram. And so it's a map that has zones where these are stable cuts and zones where these are unstable cuts. And so if you are able to make that information, you could even consolidate it into a spreadsheet, make that information available to your programmer at the point that I'm going to go bid a job I can be pretty sure that the time that comes out of that program is going to be accurate and there's not going to be a whole lot of trial and error that comes when I'm ready to machine those parts. And so for me, that's the win for the shop floor. I wish I could send you that spreadsheet, but there is this middle ground which says I need to understand the vibration response of your tool and your holder and your machine, and that's not the same for every tool and every holder and every machine. No. In fact, it's not even the same if I take the same tool and I pull it out a half inch. We're not talking about setup at all, though, because that's a whole other element. Oh my gosh, right? I'm so glad you said that. Thank you, Tony. Because... As I talk about this standard tool set, an inherent aspect of that standard tool set is repeatable setup. And, you know, in fact, just like the CAM software kind of positions us to be irresponsible about vibrations, what we've done on machine tools encourages us to be irresponsible about tool setup because 
I can put my tool in whatever length I want, and I go to the tool setup station, I do the measurement, it automatically updates my part program, and that's the same as it was yesterday. No, it's not, because if you change the stick-out length of that tool, you change its vibration response, and the best speed for that tool now just changed. And so if you're seeing in your shop what appears to be arbitrary behavior, go to your tool setup, fix that, Make that the same every day, and I bet you'll at least be repeatable in your performance. We worked with one of our clients in order to help them preset all of their tools ahead of time in order to get that consistency, and it really did help their throughput tremendously. Yeah, think about it as just being dynamically repeatable. So we talked a lot about milling, and, and you talked about that tap test as it relates to, to milling tools, obviously. How does some of the fundamentals that you talked about change when we move to, say, like grooving and cutoff and turning and Swiss machining and every other aspect of making chips? If I have a rotating tool, then the same principles applies we just talked about for milling. For turning, where I have a rotating workpiece, now instead of tooth to tooth, it's rotation to rotation. But this, it's the same physics, it's the same phenomenon, everything is the same. Here's the one thing that's different. In milling, I generally have higher spindle speeds available, and because I multiply spindle speed by number of teeth, I can have really high tooth passing frequencies. In turning, it's just the rotating speed of my workpiece, which is slower anyway. These stability lobes that I talked about will generally not afford you the same increases in axial depth that you'll see in milling. That's probably a longer discussion that we could have. Next time. Yeah. Pigskin professor. When Nick introduced you, yeah. he said you were a pigskin professor. Can you define that for us? Yeah. So that's so fun. So I used to teach at the University of Florida before I was at UNC Charlotte. I put together a video series that showed on the jumbotron of the University of Florida home football games, and it was called the Pigskin Professor Series. And I just talked about basic concepts in manufacturing in the language of football. So I introduced, oh, so for example, yeah. yeah, I talked about injection molding for the plastic cup that you that you were drinking out of in your hand. I talked about extrusion for the aluminum benches that you were sitting on. I talked about welding for the goalposts. And just to bring it home, and that was all in this line of kind of workforce development and saying, hey, you know what? Everything that's around you right now all maps back to manufacturing. And that's I mean, what's awesome is like – you're taking extremely complex stuff and you're making it simple. That's and, what it's uh, all about. I think we're going to talk about that in the next episode. Manufacturing makes wife. the world go round. That's right. That's right. So, that's well, Tony, what, it was a pleasure having you yes, in our studio thank today. Thank you, Tony. Really, My pleasure. Really, I love the conversation. I, I really feel like you've equipped and inspired me a little bit better to bring some information back to my shop floor, and hopefully we can mitigate some of that vibration that we've been having on our... And, uh, and has he convinced you that Cutting tools are flexible. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I I knew that. I just you know we, you we're that. talking about incrementally. I mean, you, that's a given. Come on, that's a given. Yeah, they're going to move a little bit. Yeah. I mean, if I throw this can at you, there's going to be some kind of vibration, right? You know, towards <laughs> how still I am. That's right. That's right. <laughs> With that said, we're just about ready to wrap up and. 
man, it just goes back to what do we always say at the end of the show. And Jason, what is it? What is that we always? Well, I say? think one of the things that Nick keeps on telling us to say at the end of the show, which yeah, we what keep is he- forgetting to do, is to go to iTunes or your or whatever podcast player that you're using to listen to Making Chips and do what, Nick? Please rate and review us. Let us know what you think. Who do you like more, Jason, Jim? That that's pretty much well, what we're looking we already for. We did that survey. And it was I Jason. Don't wanna, I don't want to make Jason cry. <laughs> yeah. How do you rate like on Podcast Addict? Because I don't know that you can do that. I know you can do it on iTunes, and I'm an Android user, so all the Android users out there want to know, I want to know how you can rate on one of those podcast players. Well, so if you have an Apple device, go to iTunes and rate and review we there. We know that. We and know then that. We know that. I would say the popular podcast players out there probably have a comment section and a okay. rating section, say Spotify, or I think Google Play. I don't remember what their podcast player is called. Or on Spotify, Just yeah. open up your podcast app and just look for a way to rate and review. Just do it that way. And you can always reach out to us directly at makingchips.com. Yeah, because if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Bam. Metalworking Nation, listen up. Manufacturing is challenging. You need to think differently. The day-to-day whirlwind of urgencies, the pressure to grow, customer demands, workforce development, new machine tools and robots, the list goes on and on. It is possible to stay ahead of the game of manufacturing, but you can't do it alone. We're here to give you access to exclusive content from other leaders, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you on making chips. At least Dr. Jim can disagree with Dr. Tony. Absolutely. Absolutely.